from the scriptures tonight is from Colossians, first chapter, verses 26 and 27. Colossians, first chapter, verses 26 and 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, in you the hope of glory. In 1975, my dad started tearing apart hope. And he he had a lot of help. But I need to go back 30 years in order to explain what I'm talking about. USS Consolation, it was a hospital ship commissioned in the Navy, uh, commissioned into the Navy on the 22nd of May, 1945. She served in World War II. She, reser- she was receiving wounded, wounded and uh, released Jap- uh, prisoners of war. She, in 1950, it was the first ship to serve the United Nations during the Korean conflict, first ship to receive casualties directly by helicopter. Then on, November, on December 30th, 1955, decommissioned by the Navy, leased to Project Hope in March of 1960, and rechristened the SS Hope. So from the 60s to the 70s, she operated as a, as a hospital ship going around. We did 11 tours uh, through, over the world, taking care of people, assisting health education. And then finally, in 1974, the ship was returned to the Navy. And then in 75, it was taken by tugboat from the north down to Brownsville, Texas. And it was scrapped in 1975. A company called Andy International took the bid and got the bid for that ship. And my dad was one of the people who took a cutting torch and, and, and tore hope apart one little piece at a time. My dad spent a lot of uh, months, many months, using a cutting torch. And that's the last picture that I can find of the SS Hope, what's left of it. But the reason I'm telling you this is, is, is just to, to make this analogy. That we have hope as Christians. We have something that no one else in the world has, but only Christians have a certain kind of hope that we're going to talk about tonight. Only Christians have this certain kind of hope that we can rest in, that we can be excited about, that we can be consoled. But Satan doesn't want us to understand it. Satan doesn't want us to keep it. Satan wants to cut it up one piece at a time, make us confused and make us feel like we're not worth anything anymore. He doesn't want us to understand the concept of having hope and glory, as you can see in Colossians 1.27. He doesn't want us to understand the hope of eternity with God, the hope of hope of being raised into heaven to be with God for eternity. He doesn't want us to understand that. He wants to tear apart that hope and he and he will try to do it and he will make every effort that he can. So what does it mean to to have hope 
what does it really mean? What, what's, what is real hope? Well, we need to understand as Christians that we have real hope. It's not a new hope. It's been around for a while. It's, it, it's a mysterious thing for a while until people started becoming Christians and putting Christ on and baptism and, putting, and getting in Christ. It's not, a, it's not a false hope, this hope of glory that we have. It is our only hope. You know, Paul, Paul says, he writes that if, if, living without Christ, that, that's no life at all. Living without Christ is to die without hope. There's no comfort in death. There is no comfort in death except having sure hope that when life is over and when you have passed from the earth and Jesus comes back to take the dead home with him, that's when hope kicks in as we live our lives. The word hope. Well, what does that mean? Is it a blind, is it just leaping off of an of a edifice, just blindly hoping that there's a floor there or you will be caught? Not at all. That Greek word can be translated confident expectation, hope. You know that something is there to be had. You know it is, and, you're, and it's not a betting your life on. You're, you're agreeing that you believe in it wholeheartedly, that we have hope for eternity. So how can we have a confident hope? So what we're going to do is take some scriptures that have to do with hope, look at them, and, and talk about them for just a few uh, moments each one. And so we have a saving hope. If you would, go to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at 24 and 25. Romans 8, 24 and 25. And we need to understand that as you, as you look at Romans 8 and you look at this section of Scripture and Paul's talking about being ready. He's talking about being ready to leave the earthly body. And he says in 25, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. So we're saved in this hope. It's not really hope if we can see it. It's not hope if it's right before us, but, but we wholeheartedly believe. And he says, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope he says, for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. He's talking about being ready to leave this earth. He's talking about being ready for Christ to come back. He's, he's striving. He's struggling. He's working for the church. He's working for, for, for God. He's working for Jesus and the gospel. But he's ready to go. He's ready to go at any time. And, he, and um, he, he's ready for that voyage. We, every once in a while, we'll go on a vacation, but almost every year, we, so far for the last several years, we've gone to Tennessee uh, for polishing the pulpit, East Tennessee. And that takes quite a while to get there, but it takes quite, it's, it seems like it takes longer to get ready for it. And we are notorious, my family, if we say that we're leaving early Thursday morning, that means we're going to have supper 15 minutes on the road right after we leave. That night, I'm telling you, and that's not an exaggeration. We're going to leave bright and early. Before the sun comes up, 4.35, we're going to leave, oh, you mean 9 at night? Yeah, because we're not ready. Now, we think we're ready, and we act like we're ready, and we tell each other it won't take long to be ready, but we're not ready for the voyage. But Paul is saying, we've got hope. He's making the point that because of the hope, because of the confident expectation of getting to go to be with God for eternity, that's motivating. That's getting him through life. That is, he is so ready for that. The saving hope of a Christian. The saving hope. What about the good hope? Let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The good hope. 
And that phrase is used as we look at 16 and 17. That phrase is used in this, in this sense, who has loved us, given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. What's the opposite of that? Good hope, good hope, good confident expectation. What about dreaded confident expectation? Good hope versus dreaded expectation. Oh man, we all know we all know what it's like to know that we deserve punishment and waiting for it. We all know what that's like. If if you've if you've ever been a kid in a situation, knowing it's going to be painful, knowing it's going to be humiliating, knowing that we're getting ready to experience uh, misery, misery, misery. Seventh grade band. Oh, I had a day where I as I had many days, but I just couldn't be contained. I was sitting uh, in the front. I was first chair on saxophone, and I was sitting there, and I was making faces at people. And the band teacher, poor guy, I was being disrespectful, and he and he kept trying to get me to to settle down. He gave me so many warnings, and finally he just said, "That's it." And he picked up this big, long wooden thing. It looked like a cricket bat. It had holes drilled in it, and he had named it Ben. That was his first name, and Dover was the last name, and so uh, his name was Ben Dover, and. Um, I had to, I had to, and I deserved it, but he didn't do it right then. He said, in about 15 minutes, you're going to stand in front of the class and you're going to get a SWAT. Dreaded, confident expectation. You're not looking forward to it at all, but you know it's coming. You know your punishment is coming. But then we read something like 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Consolation and good hope. May he comfort your hearts and establish you in, establish you in every good work and word. That's looking forward to something. Good hope. That's a good, that's a good confident expectation, isn't it? Knowing that whatever we go through, that God is there to con console us. God is there letting us know you have hope. You have something to look forward to. You have eternity to be getting ready for, and it is coming. And be excited about that. When we're in Christ, we aren't going to have dreadful expectations of punishment. We're going to have good hope, everlasting consolation based on that confident expectation that we are going to heaven, that we are going to heaven. Next one, blessed hope. Blessed hope, simply taken from Titus 2. We can look at 11 through 13 if you want to go over there. Blessed hope. And you see that phrase, that, that little phrase in 13, blessed hope. And what, what kind of hope is that? A blessed hope, confident expectation of the Lord coming. Quite a few years ago, I was at a Amsterdam Airport. And I was watching people come off, come, come out of the deboarding area and getting to see their families. And there was one man, he was pacing back and forth, an older man. And I was fascinated by him. You could see that he was nervous. You could see that he was expecting something. You could see that he was, he was so excited about whoever it was getting ready to come through those doors. And a young man came out of those doors. And there was a celebration. And there was some running. And there was some hugging. And there was some sobbing. And he just said over and over again, my son, my son, my son. It was fascinating. But it was also moving, very moving. I don't know how long they hadn't seen each other for, but 
it, it was incredibly intense to watch him being so excited about the return of his son. For the grace of God that brings salvation, this is 11 from Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. When we're in Christ, so excited, and we're going to be so ready to see the Son come back. And there will be emotions, and there will be hugging, and there will be excitement, and there will be celebration. Because we're going to be watching for that Son to come back. We're going to be waiting and having hope in that Son coming back, and we're going to be ready for that Son to come back. The blessed hope of a Christian. What about the living hope of a Christian? First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. I don't know if you can see those letters. A-E-D. A-E-D. Automated external defibrillator. I told David Lehman, we need one of these in the building. We do. Roy's nodding his head. I want to play with one. That's why I want it. I, now Roy's shaking his head. <laughs> and I don't know, Todd, if you remember several years. Do you remember that? Uh, at the Y, probably 15 years ago, Todd Martin and I were, were at the Y working out, and we were the only ones. It was 5.30 in the morning, the only ones there uh, in the weight room, and there was a defibrillator, an AED on the wall. And my, the great idea was, let's play with that puppy. Yeah, and so I, I reached for, and do you remember what happened? I reached and opened the door, and this alarm started going off, and we closed it, and we, we, we moved out of the way just in case. We're the only ones there. But it's fascinating to me that you can take something and put electricity through something and recharge something and bring it back to life. The first time that that was done, the first time it was done was in 1899. Two physiolo physiologists from the University of Geneva, Switzerland. And then it was first used to successfully bring, successfully bring a 14-year-old boy back to life in, in the 1960s. Today, this is a very proven way to bring someone, to start someone's heart pumping again, beating again. Over and over again, it's been successful, and you would say bringing someone back to life, you might say. But that's not really true. That is not really true. You think about a living hope. You think about Jesus spiritually uh, dying for us and spiritually us getting to live. God has had mercy on his children and has given us a living hope, brought us back to life. And we look at 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1 and verse 3, and we see, we see this, this phrase... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. Now, if you have that in New King James, has begotten us again, you might have caused us to be born again in New American Standard and, and ESV, or has given us new birth to a living, so has begotten us again, caused us to be born again to a living hope 
living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From he, We have been taken from a dead state spiritually to an alive. We have been born again. We brought back to life by what? By the force, by the power of Jesus dying on the cross. It's not just electricity. It is God's power going through His Son and allowing us to live spiritually again. That's living hope. And we can be excited about that. We can be excited about that. And we finally have the purifying hope. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, verses one, 2 and 3. Let's look at that. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. The purifying hope of a Christian. The purifying hope of a Christian. And we see this scripture in John, in first John, I'm sorry, first John chapter three, verses two and three. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. And here we go. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you're visiting and you've never been here before, right behind the screen is a baptistry. And for the most part, it usually that, war, that water is usually nice and warm. And several of you have been baptized recently. You know that water is nice and warm. That water has some chemicals in it to keep it pure. As pure as can, can be. To keep it from getting moldy and, and nasty. And it's kept up with. And we appreciate that. And you get in that water and you're baptized and your sins are forgiven. But that water has nothing to do with the removal of sin in the sense that you're just getting wet. And getting chlorinated. Or whatever you use, it's not really chlorine, is it? But you're, you're getting wet and that's not, that's not what clean, cleanses your soul. The hope. The, it cleanses your sin. The hope, the expectation, the confident expectation that Jesus died, buried, resurrected. The confident expectation that He is God's Son. And the confident expectation that when we are buried with Him in baptism, we're, we raise up anew. Now, you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, but we have this expectation, this confident expectation that Jesus' blood is at work when we do that. And, and when we make the decision to become in Christ through baptism, having our sins washed away, we're acting on confident hope. And that's what this scripture says. For everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, makes a decision to become one with Christ. And when we do that, we are purified. The purifying hope of a Christian. The last scripture we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. There are a lot of things that you have and I don't have and some things that I have and you don't have. There are facial features that, that we don't share and there are, there are uh, 
things that apparently we do share, but there is something that only Christians have. I've already mentioned it um, that we're talking about tonight. Only Christians have this one thing, this spiritual, this confident expectation that Jesus is God's son. He's coming back and we're going to heaven with him at the end of, of the world when he comes back. And we look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 and through 13, and we read, at that time you were without Christ. What is it like to be without Christ? He says, you being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, having no hope, and without God in the world. You had no hope. Without Christ, you have no hope. And he continues and he says, but now, however... And, on the other hand, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You had no hope. Now you have hope. You were hope in a hopeless state, and now you are living in confident expectation that you have done the right thing. God will do what he promised, and Jesus' blood washes you and cleanses you. So do you have hope? Do you have that confident expectation that if Christ were to return in the next second, in the next split second, that you would get to go to heaven with him? You think about that. Ask yourself, Christian, non-Christian, do I have that confident expectation that in a split second he comes back and he's ready to take, will, will I get to go with him? Do I have that confident expectation? And if we answer no to that, we need to take care of some things in our lives. If we hesitate for just a split second on deciding, am I, will I go back with him or will I not? You've got a problem. You've got a problem. Christians, if that's the mental process you went through, there's something that is keeping you from having that confident expectation. And if you're not in Christ, you have reason to not be confident. You can expect you can expect, but it'll be a dreadful, confident expectation. It's not good. And so if you need to take care of that, let us know. If you want to study with us about that, let us know. And if you have any other needs that can be met by coming forward, let us know about those as well as we stand and as we sing.